Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. We're in Mark chapter six still. And last week, we saw Jesus being rejected, and we talked about the fact that, hey, if he was rejected, we're going to be rejected. He was rejected for a second time by his hometown. Uh, and he, right after being rejected, he takes his disciples and gets them prepared for rejection, and then he sends them out two by two to preach the same message of repentance that he had been preaching and the same message of repentance that John the Baptist had been preaching as a forerunner to Christ. And so they go and they preach the message of repentance. And I just briefly touched on what repentance was last week. I said it is turning from your sin leaving your sin behind, turning 180 degrees toward God, toward Jesus, choosing to leave the old self behind and allowing Jesus to create a new person in you. That's repentance. It's interesting that in the midst of Mark's report about the disciples, they've gone out and they've returned, and Mark says uh, in verse, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 6, he says, They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And he stops that story right there, and he goes somewhere completely different. Just completely different. It's like, Mark, what are you doing? And the place he goes is, he starts in about John the Baptist, and Herod, and Herodias, and this very insidious story of treachery and deceit and Murder and adultery. And that is in the middle of, because we just read verses 12 and 13. If you skip down to verse, I'm, I'm getting out of order, Molly, I apologize. I'm gonna, I better get back because Molly's trying to follow along with me and get the right verses up, up here. No, verse 30, verse 30. <laughs> Let's go to verse 30. We're going to skip the whole story about John the Baptist because I want you to see what's going on here. There's this, it's called a literary sandwich. 
And Mark does about four of these in his gospel, where he starts a story, and then he interrupts his story, and he interjects this other entirely different story that seems not to fit. And as soon as he finishes that, he goes right back to the story that he was telling. And so in verse 30, he says, The disciples gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Sounds like something that should come exactly after verse 13. Right? But instead, he inserts this rather lengthy story about John the Baptist. Why would he do that? He's trying to emphasize something here. He's trying to emphasize something about the cost of discipleship, the cost of being courageous. And we'll get, we'll get more into that as we get through this. And we've got some pretty long passages to take up this morning. And once again, I'm not going to read through the whole thing and then back up and, and take it piece by piece. We're just going to take it piece by piece as we go. So, a little bit about John the Baptist. We've, believe it or not, we've already covered a little bit. In fact, in the third verse of Mark... We're introduced because Mark quotes Isaiah at Mark 1, verse 3. He quotes Isaiah talking about this forerunner who's going to come. And then in verse 4, we see him report. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So... Even though John the Baptist, he's coming back, Mark is coming back to John the Baptist. He introduced him right at the outset of his gospel. Ten verses later, in the first chapter, he says, after John was put in prison. After John, well, that's the first we know that he's put in prison. It's him saying, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So verse 14 of Mark very first chapter, John the Baptist is already imprisoned. He doesn't tell us why. He doesn't tell us what's going on while he's there in prison. But now, in the midst of this story about the disciples' mission, he inserts all of that information. So, that's what we're going to go to today. Let's start reading in verse 14 of chapter 6. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Now, what was the this that King Herod heard about? He heard about the disciples empowered by Jesus to go out and preach repentance. He heard about them preaching. He heard about them healing folks. He heard about them driving out evil spirits. That was what was just reported in verse 13. And, there's, and Mark is saying, King heard about it. For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Wait, raised from the dead? We didn't know he was dead yet. So Mark surprises us right here with the fact that apparently John the Baptist is dead. Because how can he be raised from the dead unless he's dead? Let's go on from there. Verse 15. Others said, he is Elijah, talking about Jesus. He is Elijah. 
And still others claim he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. He's scared. Herod is scared. He didn't want to kill John to begin with. He was trapped into, it, do, into doing it. We're going, to, we're going to read that story. But Herod really thought Jesus was John the Baptist come back to haunt him, to make his life miserable, as John had done. So who is this Herod? Who is this Herod? He's not a king. Interestingly enough, he insisted that folks address him as King Herod. But he was not a king. He was a puppet tetrarch appointed by the Roman emperor. That is not a kingship. There were four tetrarchs put over Israel, and he was one of the four. It seems as if maybe he was the most arrogant of the four. So, he was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the Herod who was in power when Jesus was born. When Jesus was born, remember, the, the wise men passed through Jerusalem and checked in with Herod, say, hey, what's, we're following the star, we're looking for the king who is being born. And unfortunately, uh, King Herod the Great took them seriously and decided he needed to do something about this, and that's when he sent the soldiers to go kill all the babies in Jerusalem. That's Herod the Great. That's this Herod's father. And this Herod was the son of that Herod by his fifth wife. Herod the Great killed several of his own sons out of paranoia and fear that they were going to rise up to take his throne. Now, somehow or another, this Herod at least got a piece of that throne by being appointed a tetrarch. That's who this Herod is. This Herod also participates in the conviction and crucifixion of Jesus. And within a couple of years after that, he is deposed. He is defeated by a, a neighboring army that actually belongs to a relative of the first wife, the wife he left to take up the wife who is, we're seeing in his story, that influences him to kill John the Baptist. What a mess. What a mess. Let's start in verse 17. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. That harkens back to chapter 1, verse 14. He did this because of Herodias, his brother's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So, John the Baptist got put in prison. Now we're finding out why. Because he had the gall to speak truth to this king, Herod. The truth being, you have no business 
marrying a woman who is your brother's wife. Interestingly enough, she's not just his brother's wife. Let's throw that slide up about Herodias. Herodias, I mean, you can hear, Herod is in her name because she's from the family of Herod. She is family even before marrying into the family, she's family, all right? She is the daughter of Herod's half-brother, Aristobulus. She is the wife of Herod's half-brother, Philip. So she is this Herod's niece and his sister-in-law, and now his wife. We're talking about some pretty serious messed up. <laughs> so the, the household of Herod is about as wicked as they get. And these, this Herod Antipas, Herod Antipas, is essentially ruler over a quarter of the Jewish uh, Israel. Sad. And so John the Baptist feels compelled to call out at least his most public sin. It's one of, what, thousands of sins probably this guy is committing, but he chooses to call out his most public sin. And, of course, he gets himself locked up for it, right? Uh, let's go back to our scriptures, see what else is, is said here. John, let's see, we did through 18, let's go to 19. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John because he'd been telling the truth about her and her husband and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, when he heard him, meaning he was letting him come speak to him, inviting him to come speak to him, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. That's really interesting, okay? So... He arrests John, puts him in prison, perhaps partly to protect him from his wife, who wants him dead. And he invites him to come preach to him. We don't know how long this went on. Mark is reporting this to us well into Jesus' earthly ministry, we don't know when prior to this point he was actually beheaded. It could have been a week or two. It could have been months. But he was in Herod's custody for quite a while. And Herod, for some reason, enjoyed hearing John proclaim truth to him. And folks, I want to tell you, there may be some of you sitting here today who enjoy or are uh, entertained or 
are challenged by hearing truth, but like Herod, that's as far as it goes. It never results in action. It never results in the repentance that that truth is intended to bring about. I hope and pray that's not you, but I can tell you there are churches in this country who are filled with a lot of folks who haven't repented but enjoy hearing truth. They enjoy toying with truth mentally, but it doesn't sink in to their heart and bring about change, bring about repentance. And that's a dangerous place to be, and that's where Herod was. I mean, he was so close. I mean, why would you listen and not not act? Well, he had a lot to lose, right? First of all, he'd have to lose the wife that, no telling what he did to try and get her. As a starting point, he'd have to stop throwing these drunken parties that he threw. I mean, there's some huge changes. Some of you probably, there's some changes that you've been avoiding. Some repentance that you've been avoiding. Because, after all, Jesus is all about love. Love and forgiveness. I can keep on sinning because he's just going to forgive me. Folks, the message here in Mark is consistent. Started with John the Baptist, went to Jesus, he passed it on to the disciples. The message starts with repent. It starts with repent. It's not say this prayer to accept Jesus in your heart. It's repent. Turn from your old life. Then you are there available for Jesus to do with you as he pleases. You can't take your old life with you and still accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's what Herod essentially was trying to do. And it caught him off guard because he hadn't taken the action that he needed to. And unfortunately, John the Baptist was the one who wound up paying the price. Verse 21. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and leading men of Galilee, the top brass. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. I'm going to leave to your imagination what type of dance that might have been, but I suspect it was rather provocative. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. Here's this unrepentant Herod, still, still sitting on the throne of his own heart, being driven by the flesh, 
And yet he's the guy that's supposed to be helping rule over these folks. What a horrible situation. We might be a little familiar with that today, but that's all I'm going to say on that subject. Um, his refusal to repent and his continued depraved and sensual lifestyle has now put him in a place of no retreat. And Herodias and her daughter take advantage and they seize the moment to have John beheaded. In verse 24, she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? No hesitation whatsoever. The head of John the Baptist. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Can you imagine hating someone so much that when you are given an opportunity to have a wish fulfilled, your wish is to have that person's head brought to you on a platter I mean, how decadent can you get? I can think of a lot of things that I would ask for, but it wouldn't be the bloody head of someone I hate. We're talking some serious... And, and, and it's, not, it's not the dancer, it's the dancer's mother. This is Herodias, all right? First of all, she's probably the one who put her own daughter up to doing this sensual dance in order to produce this exact scenario. I think this was her plot to begin with. Who sends their daughter before a drunken group of men to do a sensual Dance, provocative dance. It's just unimaginable. Verse 26. The king was greatly distressed. Why was he distressed? He'd been asked for John the Baptist's head on the platter. And he kind of liked this guy. He liked having him around. He liked toying with the truths that he brought to him. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. He had, unlike John's costly courage, Herod was the exact opposite. He was bowing to the political and social pressure. Of course, he'd put himself in, the, in this place where it was going to be almost impossible for him to retreat. So he had to follow through. Verse 27, So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on the platter. He presented it to the girl. She took it from him turned around, gave it to her mother. Woo! On hearing this, John's disciples came, took his body, and laid it in a tomb. 
end of that story, back to the other part of this sandwich, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Weird. Weird. You go from, you know, learning all this sordid stuff about John the Baptist to the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him. As if, you know, nothing happened. Now, we don't know at what point Jesus and the apostles learn of all of this, but here Mark has inserted this in the story about their mission. And in the midst of them coming back, returning to Jesus. What a contrast. His disciples went out and apparently enjoyed some success. Healed some folks, drove out some demons... They were successful because they managed to return rather than get put in prison. John, on the other hand, who was preaching the same message of repentance, gets locked up and beheaded. I think Mark wants us to count the cost of discipleship. Let's throw up that... uh, conclusions slide there are three three things I think that Mark would have us take away from this sandwich of a story speaking truth and calling for repentance is not always popular in fact I would argue that it's probably more often than not not popular it can even result in martyrdom as it did for John and it has, as, it has, as it has done for hundreds of thousands of Christians in the Christian age, folks have died even more miserable lives than crucifixion, even more miserable deaths, that is, than crucifixion. How about crucifixion while being burned? He wants us to see that indecision has its own bad consequences. Herod, Herod's indecision led to innocent John dying. I think Herod might have even considered John a friend. But he had to put his friend to death because of his own indecision, inability to act on the truth, act on the call to repentance. And Mark wants us to see that disciples of Jesus are expected to stay the course regardless of circumstances. We can know with certainty that Jesus' disciples by this point, knew this story. We don't know that they had just heard it, but they knew this story. They knew that John had died by beheading at the hands of Herod. And yet, they continued their mission. They didn't walk out. Now, by this time, there were a lot of other, quote, followers of Jesus, hangers-on, 
who were beginning to abandon the parade. They were beginning to see there's some costs associated with following Jesus. And they're leaving. But the 12 stay. And we all know there was really only 11. There was one in there who was a traitor. Repent, take up your cross, and follow me. That's, that's Jesus' message to us. This is not in a slide. In the Gospel of John, and of course the John is different than John the Baptist, all right? John the Apostle and John the Baptist, those are two different individuals. John the Apostle was the disciple who lived the longest and may have been the only one who didn't die a martyr's death. Anyway, he was one of the youngest, so he lived, he lived, he lived to write the Gospel of John. And in it, in verse, uh, verse 15 of chapter 14, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. And then in verse 23, he says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. question I want to ask you, and we're, we're wrapping up now. question I want to ask you is, if tonight, and I'm not saying this is possible, it's not possible now, but someday it will be, probably. If tonight the laws of this land were changed such that tomorrow when you wake up, it is against the law, to be a follower of Christ. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you if, if they went to your co-workers, the folks that you spend the most time around during the day and said, hey, is old Joe Blow is there any evidence that he's, he believes and follows Christ? What would they say? Would they say things like, well, I, I think he goes to church. I'm sorry, that's not enough for conviction. Or would they say things like, well, I mean, he goes out of his way to help his neighbor, to help us. He... He's very clear that he does this because he loves Jesus. Is that, I mean, is there any evidence? Would you be convicted? I hope so. I hope so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let us not be guilty of playing with truth of allowing our ears to be tickled, but our hearts and minds to remain untouched. Father, call us. Call us to true repentance. Give us the courage, the costly courage, to turn from our sin, to turn to you 
and allow you to make of us what you will. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.